You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. Today's reading is from Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 23. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption into sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You've probably seen before and after pictures on the internet. Often they're to do with diet. Um, Here's what I look like before and then I tried this amazing diet and now here's what I look like after. Or home renovations. Yards filled with rubbish and metre high grass before, but then the team comes through, backyard blitz, and here's what it looks like after. And maybe you've got a story like that in terms of your relationship with Jesus. Uh, Here's what your life looked like before and it was radically different. And then you heard the gospel, gave your life to Jesus, and there was a stunning change and after. And when you tell your story to other people about coming to faith in Jesus, you really highlight the before and the after in your life. For others of us, me included, uh, we've grown up in Christian families and so there's not quite a radical difference between the before and the after. Our journey of faith has been a progressive growth and change in Jesus rather than the stunning change before it was like this and after it's like this. And, you know, sometimes we're disappointed about that. We wish that we had a better story when we were talking to people. You know, I used to be an axe murderer, but now with Jesus, here's what my life looks like. Well, regardless of our journey and our story, The Bible teaches us that there is a before and an after, that there's a radical difference in knowing Jesus. 
And in this Bible passage from Galatians 3 and 4, Paul contrasts a before and an after. But he frames it in terms of what life looks like under the law, that's the before, and what life looks like in Christ, that's the after. So if you've got your Bibles or your phones there, I'd love you to grab it. And we're starting at Galatians 3, verse 23. So firstly, life under the law. Here's how Paul describes it in verse 23. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. Life under the law was restrictive. Paul describes it here as being like in a prison cell, being behind bars. Now, a few weeks ago, Kirk talked about the fact that um, in, uh, for, for Jews living under the law, they often set up extra laws on top of the laws in the Bible, almost like a fence around the law to make sure that they didn't cross the line. So if you put some extra laws in place, then that would guard you from crossing the line and breaking the law. So you kind of bang the fence posts in, uh, you put the wire fencing around, better make sure it's really high too, so that you don't climb over it. Put some razor wire on the top as well. Perfect, the fence is in place. And then you realize that you're inside it. You're, you're trapped, you're restricted, you're held in custody. The law had that restrictive effect, the worry that you would break the law and do the wrong thing. And so living in fear and almost imprisoned. In verse 24, Paul puts it slightly differently to make a similar point. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Now that word translated here, guardian, had a very specific meaning in the original context. It spoke about a person whose job was basically looking after young people and making sure that they didn't get into trouble and they didn't do the wrong thing. Uh, if you look at images of this sort of guardian from the time, they're often pictured holding a stick like a cane, ready to go whack on the young people when they do the wrong thing. It reminds me of my high school. We had a school sergeant at my school. His name was Sergeant Steele. I'm not making it up. That genuinely was his name. And basically his job at the school was to maintain discipline and order. And back in those days, that included a cane. So he'd actually cane people when they did the wrong thing. And he was a pretty scary dude, except when he got so angry and was screaming so loud that his false teeth came loose and then his, his words became garbled and it was you know, hard to take him seriously then. But he was the sort of guy that if you were walking along and you saw him, your immediate response would be, oh crap, what am I doing wrong? You know, just seeing him would invoke feelings of guilt and fear that maybe you're breaking the rules. It's a bit like when you're driving along and you see a police car. Your immediate response is to check your speed, put your brakes on, just in case you're speeding. I mean, even though you haven't had a speeding fine since 1957, that's your immediate response. 
And that's the image of the law that Paul gives us here. There's a sense in which you can live in fear and with guilt that you're going to do the wrong thing and get whacked. It's not a great life to be living. And there's one more image of life under the law. It's down in chapter 4 and verse 3. We were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Now, that's a pretty difficult verse to understand and to translate. And there's a whole bunch of views on what the meaning is. But in the context, it's hard to avoid the fact that it is speaking about life under the law. And really what I think is going on here is it's it's pulling back the curtains behind the scenes as to what's actually going as peop- going on as people try and keep the law. It describes the law as keeping us in slavery, so it's, it's similar to being in prison or under the discipline of a guardian, but it actually connects this sense of slavery to spiritual forces. It's speaking here about Satan, who is in opposition to God, Uh, who uses the law to enslave us and condemn us. So the guilt and the fear that I was speaking about before, as we try, try, try and keep failing as we keep the laws, gets used to condemn us and to make us think that God would never want us and never love us. The very name Satan actually means the accuser. And that's kind of his job. So when we break one of the rules, maybe we kind of lose our temper and we tear shreds of another person who's annoyed us. Satan uses that to condemn us. Oh, that was bad. I can't believe that you just treated another person like that. And you you call yourself a follower of God. I don't think God would want you. Now, you're too bad. God couldn't possibly love you or forgive you for the sort of stuff that you're doing. So you see, under the law, we live lives that are imprisoned and restrictive. We live them uh, in fear and and guilt that we're going to get it wrong and get punished. And we're actually in in a slavery and under the sort of condemnation that that Satan uses to make us believe that God would never want us and never love us. So what we actually need is someone to set us free, someone to release us from this captive life. What we need is Jesus. Now, I said in this passage that Paul was contrasting life under the law with life in Christ. But in order to understand what life in Christ Christ is like. First, we need to look at Christ. We need to look at Jesus and see what this passage says about what Jesus did to release us from this life of captivity. And it's summed up beautifully for us in Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So we were trapped under the law, captive to its demands, enslaved by it. And so what Jesus does is that he comes in 
under the law as well. He puts himself in our place. He comes as a human being like us, born of a woman. And he comes as a member of the people of Israel, a Jew, someone who is one of God's people born under the law. And where everyone else had failed to keep the law, Jesus kept it perfectly. And he does it not just for his own benefit, and he doesn't do it just sort of as a motivation to say, look, guys, I can do it. You can do it too. No, he does it for us. He does it in order to redeem those who are under the law. The word redeem is like paying a ransom. It's, it's a price that could be paid to release a person from slavery. So in those days, if people got into debt and had to sell themselves into slavery, or they were enslaved for some other reason, they could be released if enough money was paid to buy their freedom. And this is describing the fact that Jesus does that for us. He fulfills the perfect, uh, he fulfills the demands of the law. He does it perfectly. And then he gives his perfect life for us as he dies on the cross so that we are released. The ransom is paid. We're redeemed from being under the law. And so basically, we get the benefits of what Jesus has done And as we've seen in Galatians, that comes through faith. So when we trust in Jesus, we're connected to Jesus and he pulls us out of that slavery and forgives our sin. I used the image a few weeks back of of a carabiner, a a clip that you use when someone's uh, rescuing you or whether you're when you're rock climbing or abseiling. Uh, Faith is like the thing that connects us to Jesus so that he can pull us to safety. But here in this passage, it's put even more strongly than this. Paul uses this language of being in Christ. So have a bit of a listen to Galatians 3.26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. What's being described here is such a tight connection with Jesus that we're actually in him. Um, We're clothed with him. Like I put this jumper on this morning, it's like clothing yourself in Christ uh, and being covered with him, united with him in him. Now, we often talk about being followers of Jesus. And the image of that is that Jesus is walking along and and we're walking behind him or beside him. But this is more than that. We are so united to Jesus that it's like he contains us within himself. And it's a vital image, this image of being in Christ, because it means that if we're in Christ, everything that he achieves and everything he does becomes ours by nature of the fact that we are in him. Think of it like this. If you get on a plane from Melbourne to Perth and you're, you're in the plane, right? If the plane gets to Perth, then you get to Perth. You get to Perth because you are in the plane and it gets there. 
It's not like you've flapped your arms really hard to try and fly yourself from Melbourne to Perth. That, that's impossible. But if you get in the plane and the plane flies there, you get there too. And it's, it's like that with Jesus. Jesus does it all. He lives the perfect life. He dies on the cross to deal with sin and he rises from the dead to defeat death. And if we are in him, we gain all of those benefits by nature of being united to him and that he's done it for us. And so in the last part of this passage, we see the incredible benefits that come from being in Jesus. It's described, you might say, in 3D. There's three dimensions to what it, it looks like and what the reality is to be in Jesus. There's an up dimension. Being in Christ transforms our relationship with God. There's a horizontal dimension. It transforms our relationships with other people. And there's what you might say a, a, a down dimension or a back dimension where it connects us through history to the storyline of God's people. So firstly, the up dimension. That's in chapter 3, verse 26. So in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. The image of being a child of God is really prominent in this passage. This passage speaks of being adopted. It speaks of being able to call God Abba, which is an intimate way of saying father or, or dad. What a contrast that is to what we saw at the beginning of a life lived in guilt and fear, worried about being whacked by a stick, trying desperately to keep rules in order to please some sort of distant deity. Instead, God says, you are my daughter. You are my son. I love you and I welcome you. I want to be in relationship with you. Please. Call me dad. Jesus himself taught us that when we pray, when we speak to God, we can start by saying, our father in heaven. Now, do you realize the enormity of that? That you are a child of God? That really should shape the way that we live each and every day. Some years ago, I worked at the Salvation Army in the city here in Melbourne. And one of the interns who I worked with there had a, had a tattoo on her wrist. It was Hebrew writing and it was uh, the phrase or the, the word Bator, which translated means his daughter. Every day as she looked down literally at that ink written on her skin, she was reminded that she belonged to God that she was a precious child of God, that as she went through the day, God loved her, welcomed her, received her. She was in relationship with the very God of the universe. What a transforming effect that would have on her life to see that and be reminded of that constantly. And it's the same for us. Rather than getting up through the day thinking, I've got to keep the rules, I've got to live in fear, and I've got to live in guilt so that God might accept me or receive me to say, God loves me. I'm his daughter, I'm his son, I'm received by God and adopted into his family. Let's get on with the day to live for God, knowing that wonderful truth. 
So being in Christ transforms our relationship with God, but it also transforms our relationships with other people. Look at verse 28. So in Christ Jesus, uh, sorry, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now remember, for the church in Galatia, where Paul is writing, there are huge racial tensions going on in that church. It really matters whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, whether you've been circumcised as a Jewish person or not. Here Paul says, you know, in Christ, all that stuff is broken down. If I am in Christ and you are in Christ, then guess what? We're united together. We're so tightly linked because we're in Christ together. It's the same not only of race, but also of gender and of class. You know, whether you're male or female, whether you're rich or poor, blue collar or white collar, it doesn't matter in Christ. There is this equality and this unity that comes from being in Jesus together that relativizes these distinctions. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't exist, right? Being a Christian, coming to faith in Jesus, doesn't sort of eliminate our biology or wipe out the distinctive elements of our culture or race, gender or personality. Those things still matter. At the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, there's this beautiful image of people gathered around the throne of God, worshipping Jesus, worshipping God, and it's specified that it's people of different languages, cultures, um, and races. There is those distinctives that exist still in Jesus. It's not like we become clones when we come to Jesus. The fact that you are Aboriginal or Tamil, Celtic, Maori, Filipino, whatever, is still important. It's part of your embodied, created person made by God and loved by God. But racial and, and cultural and gender distinctives are less important than the unity that we share in Jesus. The fact that I am in Christ and you are in Christ outweighs the fact that you're a woman and I'm a man, that your skin is darker than mine, uh, that you're a plumber or a nurse or a lawyer, and I'm a minister. We're one in Jesus. Let's not let that stuff get in the way as a barrier to our unity together. Now, I think this reality should also mean that we're more committed to seeking justice for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are discriminated against for different reasons. Take, for example, race. See, in recent times, we've been alerted to the reality of racial discrimination through the Black Lives Matter movement. And for us in Australia, the pointy end of that is the way that Indigenous people have been treated in the past and the inequalities that exist even in the present. Now, I've said before that it's not an appropriate response when people say black lives matters to say, yeah, all lives matter. Because that is to downplay and minimise the injustice and discrimination that is 
really being experienced by people. And to say, you know, we're all one in Christ Jesus is not a Christianized version of saying all lives matter. Let's forget about that stuff and just move on. Now, on, on the contrary, the fact that my Aboriginal brother or sister is hurting and oppressed should mean more to me because we are one in Christ Jesus. We are united together. That should drive me to notice the pain and the oppression and the difficulty that they're going through, to listen to their experiences and to increase my commitment to work for justice for them. Because we're so tightly connected in Christ, we are part of a family together. I should respond in a way that if one of my children or my brother or sister were being mistreated and discriminated against. Out of love for them, I should do that. So being in Christ transforms our relationship with God and with the people around us. But lastly, being in Christ also transforms the way that we look back at our family history and our connectedness in history. Verse 29. If you belong to Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Last week, Julie did that great timeline where she laid out the fact that God had made promises to Abraham, which were fulfilled in Jesus. And because we belong to Jesus, we are in Christ, then we're also the heirs and the inheritors of the promises that were made to Abraham. So we're, we're Abraham's seed, we're his true descendants. Even though we don't have a drop of his blood in our bodies, uh, we fall in the line of succession because we have said yes to those promises in Christ Jesus. Now, I know a bunch of you are history buffs. You love to work on your family trees. Um, and when you discover that you've got a famous ancestor, oh, there's a convict or a bushranger or some prominent leader in our family line, we get, we get really excited and say, hey, guess what? I'm connected here. Well, being in Christ means it gives us a connection all the way back to Abraham himself. That the true descendants of Abraham are the ones who believe God's promises in Christ Jesus. Jews and Gentiles alike, together in Christ, if we trust in him, then that storyline is our storyline. There's this sense of historical groundedness, connectedness, rootedness in the story of God. That God's dealings with people through millennia is actually our story because that is the family that we now belong to. We are God's children and connected to God. We have brothers and sisters alongside us adopted into that family together. But we also get the whole family history that's thrown in as well. We belong to an ancient line stretching back to Abraham. So do you realize the stunning difference that belonging to Jesus, being in Jesus, makes in your life? Can you realize the before and the after? What it would look like to be under the law versus what it looks like to be in Christ. You see, if you are someone who has put your faith in Jesus, if you are in Christ, well, you are now 
a child of God, a precious daughter or son of the creator God himself. You are united with Christian brothers and sisters, not only locally, but all over the world of every nation and race in one family together. And you are part of the story of God all the way through history, connected into that family story, that family tree. Now, all of that should give us a radical new understanding of our identity, who we are at our core. It should help us to live each day with confidence, knowing that in Christ, these realities are true for us. So if you're tempted to doubt your self-worth, your value, be reminded that you are a child of God. You belong to God, you're part of his family, and you're loved and you're precious to him. If you're feeling alone or isolated, then be reminded that you are part of a big family, spread all over the world, united together as as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I do hope that you experience that in the local sense as well being part of a life group where you love and care for each other, being part of a church congregation where people know you uh, and love you and look after you as a brother or sister. And if you're tempted to feel like your life lacks significance or purpose, well, let's remember that we're part of a big story stretching throughout history. It's the story of God redeeming people and redeeming the whole of his creation, centering on his son, Jesus. It's a story that stretches all the way back to Abraham and has continued up to and including you. You are part of that story. And our purpose is to continue to live out that story as we take our place in what God is doing in the history of the world living each day as a child of God, living in relationship with brothers and sisters who are in Christ together as a new, redeemed and transformed community, and sharing the hope and the purpose of God, sharing the story of God through history with other people so that they too can be incorporated into this family and into this wonderful relationship with God. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.